So I want to start by just kind of reflecting a little bit, um, you know, having kids, one of the things that's so fun to me is to watch them repeat like their own version of things I used to do. And so our, our family, we're not big campers. Um, several of the ladies in our house are a pretty big fan of being at home with air conditioning and a big comfy bed. But we do enjoy getting outdoors. We like exploring the mountains and the parks in the area. We love going and playing in a creek. And, you know, even just a short few hour trip turns into all this packing that happens. And always our kids either have a backpack or a little kind of carrying case. And they just put all kinds of goodies and treasures in there of things they plan on using, playing with, you know, supplies that they need. Um, and as a boy growing up, my family used to camp a lot. And so I can remember my own little packing that I would do. You know, I'd, I'd have these essential things, you know, a little, a little pocket knife, a slingshot. You know, as soon as we got to a campsite, I'm hunting down like the best walking stick to use that ended up turning into a sword of some kind. Um, and now with several girls in our house, um, those aren't quite the same things that they often have packed in their bags. Um, it's funny watching just some of the sweet things they bring along. And so, okay, why am I opening the service with that? Well, because that is actually one of the things that Jesus says as a follower of him, and especially as someone who learns about the life we have in him and then offers that to other people, that we are kind of storing up our own treasure trove. And that there is this richness that we can draw from, a rich supply that we can draw from that brings life. And so the gospel of Matthew, kind of our focus this morning, is that treasure trove. As N.T. Wright would say, the great New Testament theologian, the gospel of Matthew was the early church's like main book. It was their favorite book. It was the most read, most copied, most quoted, and most preached upon early Christian book for the first several centuries of the church. And there's a reason for that. And so I want to open by reading Matthew 13, 52. Um, many Bible scholars will actually look at this verse and these words of Jesus as almost like the signature of the book of Matthew itself. It's like a description of what this book does. So let's check this out. Matthew 13, 52. And Jesus said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Well, listen, that's what the book of Matthew is all about. It is this book that is a linking of all this Old Testament truth. All of these ancient promises, these, these future hopes, these little glimpses of what God intends to do to redeem the world. Matthew kind of wraps his arms around all of this Old Testament truth. And then he says, here's Jesus, the fulfillment of all of these things, the fulfillment of these ancient promises. Here's some ways that, that Matthew links the Old Testament to Jesus within just this gospel there are a total of a 129 either direct quotations, references, or allusions to the Old Testament. In fact, Matthew refers to 25 of the 39 books of the Old Testament. 
And over and over again, he uses the word fulfilled to describe Jesus, something about his life fulfilling a prophecy or promise from the Old Testament. In fact, the opening lines of this book make it really clear what Matthew is all about. Think about this. Matthew 1.1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, I want you to pause and hearken back a little bit. You know, if you've been following along with us all year, Abraham and David have been a key part of the themes we've been discussing. God told Abraham way back in the book of Genesis that he wanted to bless the entire world through his family. And now Matthew is saying, this Jesus is that blessing. He's the one that's come from Abraham. God also promised to David directly and then kind of through the remainder of the Old Testament, in a lot of the books of the prophets especially, we continually see the reference to this promise of an eternal king in the line of David. This king who would be a shepherd king, he would come from his father David. He would sit on the throne for all eternity. And so again, Matthew is connecting Jesus to King David. And so this this central message of Matthew is that the king is here. He's linking the old with the new and saying this is one cohesive thought. God has long promised to redeem and bless this world, and he's going to do it through his son, Jesus. So what I want to do this morning for about maybe 10, 15 minutes or so, I want to walk you through kind of three key themes that we see throughout the book of Matthew. Um, and as we're, as we're hitting these, I'm going to reference some things quickly in passing, but I'm kind of purposely including in my notes some places where you could go and, and check this out a little bit more in depth. And so I would encourage you to do that. Um, but the reason that we're highlighting these three key themes is not just to say, okay, great. It's like I took my little mini New Testament class and now I understand, you know, the outline of the book of Matthew. Now, friends, this gives us a framework to understand who Jesus is, what he is up to, what he's trying to teach us, what he wants us to know about him and about our lives. And there's even some key warnings that he gives us, things to watch out for. And so let's check out these three big themes. All right. First of all is what I've already kind of alluded to. It's the announcement of the king and his kingdom. Matthew is filled with this imagery. In fact, early on in the first chapter, when Jesus' arrival is being announced, Joseph has found out that Mary, his betrothed, is pregnant, and he's grappling with the implications of that because they're not married yet. Um, and, And so he's warned or visited in a dream. Let's check this out. Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. But as he, Joseph, considered these things, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill, there's that word, what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so the announcement at the start 
is that this is the unique son of God, the long promised one who will save and rescue his people. And he is himself God with us. That's the announcement. And then as the book builds, you know, we see in the next chapter, the wise men show up from the east. And who are they looking for? The one who's been born king. And they track him down and they find him and they worship him. They bring him gifts. Then we move into Matthew chapter three. And right before Jesus starts his ministry, we see the prophet John the Baptist declaring that the time is at hand for the king to arrive. And he's telling people, get ready. And he specifically says over and over again, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, Jesus himself when he begins his ministry in Matthew chapter four, picks up this same terminology, declaring like the kingdom is right here, at hand, present, available. Matthew four seventeen. from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the primary thing that Jesus talked about during his life in ministry. He declared the kingdom of God to the people. And his message was to repent. Now, when we hear the word repent, you know, you and I kind of in our in our Christian culture here in America, you know, we think primarily of repenting of a sin. You know, maybe when I even say repent, you immediately think of something you did wrong this week. You know, maybe it was a moment of failure. You know, you spoke harshly to your spouse or one of your kids. Um, maybe there's even kind of something stirring in your heart where you are, you're aware of a sin or a struggle that you've had. And, and man, you want to see change happen. Listen, repentance does capture within it, the concept of repentance captures the idea of repenting of specific sin, sins. But Jesus' message to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand is not just about grappling with some of your personal sins, like these specific things you've done wrong. He's saying it's time to change the way you live your life. God is here. His king is present. And it's time to turn from living your old way of life, pursuing your aims, your agenda, and do a 180 Turn and discover the king. See him for who he is and join his kingdom. And so that is one of the primary messages of Matthew. And I love this because the book, it bookends the way it started. You know, in Matthew 1, Joseph is told, this son of God is coming into the world. He's going to save the people from their sins and he is God with us. Now watch how Jesus ends the book in Matthew 28, one of the most famous passages of scripture. It's well known and it's very important. It's what we commonly refer to as the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus, after his death, after his resurrection, spending time with his disciples, he says this. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm the king. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
He says, friends, here's the promise. Joseph was told that I'm Emmanuel, God with you. Well, here I am, even though I'm ascending to heaven, the truth is I am still here with you. I'm the king, I have all authority, and I'm gonna be with you always. Friends, the message of of Matthew's gospel is not that we're looking ahead later to being in heaven, although we should be eagerly anticipating that day. It's going to be wonderful. It's that God is present with us right now today, and his kingdom is available right here on earth. And so we're told about the king. We're told about his kingdom and that he's present. And then listen, and this is going to move us into our second key theme in just a moment. What does Jesus tell the disciples to do? He says, go make more disciples. And and how do they do that? Teach them to observe all I have commanded you. In other words, the king is here. His kingdom is available. Now go tell people how to live within that kingdom. And so our second theme in the book of Matthew is about life in the kingdom. Not only is it an announcement that the king is here, but the gospel of Matthew has a lot to say about what God's kingdom is like and how we can participate in it. Now, friends, this is the truth always, but I would especially encourage you during this election year, during the political climate that we are living in, during the unrest and the turmoil in our country, friends, what better time to reflect on God's kingdom than in the midst of the turmoil going in within our little kingdom, our community, our country, the United States of America. Friends, if we are looking externally, I I don't even care for this specific purpose about the political party that you're looking to or um, some of the big things that are important to you, key, key things that you think need to be fought for. Friends, we are not going to find external solutions to the problem. The real solution is finding King Jesus. The real solution is discovering the kingdom that he makes available and us choosing to participate in it. Listen, if if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, church family, it is time for the church to be about Jesus's kingdom first and foremost. It should influence our politics, not the other way around. And so let's immerse ourselves in what God's kingdom is like and then be trained as Jesus talked about as someone who can pull from the old and the new. Let's be trained in how to cooperate with God's kingdom, how to repent of an old way of living and follow him. And so, man, this just permeates the gospel of Matthew. I want to give you some examples. Um, First of all, Jesus kind of explains what the kingdom is like. One of the best places we can see that in Matthew's gospel is Matthew chapters five, six, and seven. So it's commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Some of it, Jesus is describing how we can live, but for a lot of it, he's just simply describing what God's kingdom is like. It's open to the wide variety of people. Everyone's included. 
the brokenhearted, the meek, the struggling, the poor, the outcast, they're welcomed into his kingdom. And then he tells us, my, my kingdom is the kind of place where peace reigns, even in seasons of anxiety, where hope is present, even in the midst of, of worry about the future. And so he tells us, he describes what his kingdom is like. And then when he finishes talking about this, I love this. The people's reaction when Jesus is done describing what his kingdom is like, Matthew chapter seven, verses 28 and 29. When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Friends, the life that Jesus offers, it's not a fairy tale. It's not just some whimsical hope. Wouldn't it be nice if it was like that? When Jesus is talking about his kingdom, he backs it up with true authority. He is the king and he knows what he's talking about and he offers hope. And so in Jesus' own words, we get a glimpse of what the kingdom is like. But Jesus wasn't just to all talk. He was action oriented. And so throughout Matthew's gospel, we see the actions of Jesus. Um, go check out Matthew chapter eight. It's a great example of this. We see Jesus operating as the king and he's a king that cares about people. And he uses his power and his authority to help people to bring healing and hope. In just this one chapter, we see a leper is cleansed. Now, leprosy might not be a common thing to you and I in our day, but this is a person whose, whose illness caused them to be an outcast. They were someone that you couldn't even be around because people were so afraid of catching what they had. And so they were an outcast. And so Jesus heals this person with leprosy and they're able to come back in to community, into fellowship. Jesus heals a centurion's servant. He heals a Roman soldier. This is an enemy of the Jewish people. They, they are subservient to the Romans. And Jesus heals a Roman centurion's servant. He goes on and he heals the sick, someone who's just ill in bed. And listen, he has such authority. He sets people free from areas where they've been bound up. He casts out demons. He says, hey, areas where you have a stronghold, you are stuck, you can't seem to get free. He used his authority to set people free. That's what Jesus is like. And that's what his kingdom is like. And so in his words, in his actions, we see his kingdom on display. And then ultimately, Matthew tells us the clear gospel message, the climax of the book of Matthew. Over the last three chapters, he lays out the betrayal of Jesus, his execution and death, and him as the risen Savior coming up from the grave. See, the primary purpose of Jesus' life, it wasn't this other thing he did. It wasn't like Jesus talked about some good things, treated people nicely, and then got to the real work of the cross. No, no, no. This is all one complete cohesive mission. His kingdom is available to everyone. And in his kingdom, people's lives are changed. Hurts are healed. 
The outcasts are brought near. The stuck are set free. And he does all of this not by, not by demanding allegiance to him, not by using his power for his own benefit, but his kingdom is upside down from normal kingdoms. His power is flipped. His kingdom is unexpected because in his kingdom, the king lays down his life for the people. And so that is what Jesus' kingdom is like. That's what it's about. And now, friends, you and I, we have an opportunity to participate in this kingdom. And so another thing that Jesus does through a lot of his teaching is he tells us how we can participate in this kingdom. You know, there's, there's this sentiment among many of us that if we would just return to the simplicity of who Jesus is, that's kind of the right approach to faith. And I believe that to a degree. I think the entire New Testament is a massive benefit to the church. But I do agree if we would look at Jesus' life and at his words, it would do the church a lot of good. But some of the people that point to that will just pick and choose the parts of what he had to say that they like and neglect the things that they don't like. Friends, I believe that Jesus intended for us to take his words seriously and to apply them to our lives. This is why he finished up the Sermon on the Mount by saying, if you pay attention to my words and do them, you'll be like the person building his house on a rock. That's the firm foundation. And so there's much instruction in Matthew's gospel about how to be a follower of Jesus. A great example of this is in Matthew chapter 13. There's all these parables about what his kingdom is like. You know, we have the parable of the sower. Um, you know, that, that guy that goes out and sows seed and it lands on all the different types of soil. Um, we've got a parable about the wheat and the tares. He tells us about treasure that's hidden, that's, that's worth a lot. And so at great expense, someone would go and spend all they have to grab hold of that treasure. There's all these parables of the kingdom. You could also check out chapters 18, 19, and 20. Chapters 22 and 25, all of these give a lot of instruction on how to be a follower of Jesus. Um, I want to hone in on something, though. Right in the middle of Matthew 13, as he's sharing these parables, it stops for just a minute, and Matthew kind of gives us this description. This is verses 34 and 35 of Matthew 13. All these things Jesus said to the crowd in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Jesus did this really interesting thing. He taught in parables because stories help us understand deep truths. But he also taught in parables to purposely put up a roadblock. Yeah, that's right. He actually purposely put up a roadblock that would challenge us. He didn't do that to stop us from hearing his word, but he, he recognized that a key component of, of learning about his kingdom was our need to seek it out. Listen, friends, this is crucial. To understand the life that Jesus intends for you and for me, 
I have to decide to seek that life out. And the only way I can really discover it is to seek him. See, in Matthew 13, two different times after he tells these parables, his followers, the disciples, come back to him and say, explain that to us. I I didn't totally understand what you were saying there. Friends, that, that eagerness, that desire to be taught, to learn, that is essential in learning about God's kingdom. Guys, you can do this. Listen, I believe in what we're doing right here. I I believe in other people teaching us things we may not know. I believe in preaching. I practice that myself. Like I regularly am learning from other people. I'm soaking up other sermons. But friends, one of the reasons why we're reading through the Bible together this year is to learn the simple truth that you and I are completely capable of reading God's word and learning directly from him. And that's what the role of a disciple is, someone who pursues what God is saying and asks him to reveal it to us. And so friends, I would encourage you, use the gospel of Matthew like this. Use it as an opportunity, or obviously we've finished reading the book of Matthew, but as we move into the next ones, Mark, Luke, John, approach the life of Jesus like this eager disciple saying, God, there are things here that I don't understand at first glance, but I believe that you're the king. I believe that your kingdom is where life is. And I want to learn how to live and participate in your kingdom. And so I'm going to lean in. I'm going to seek what you're saying. I'm going to ask you to show me, reveal to my heart what's going on here. Friends, we have the capability to hear God's voice. And we've been given the gift of his word. Let's get to know him. Let's discover his kingdom. And let's learn how to participate in it. All right, last theme. And then we're going to start wrapping things up this morning. The last theme of Matthew is that Jesus gives us a lot of warnings. And kind of the simplest way to view it is like this. He warns us against false kingdoms. Great example of this is in Matthew 23, where he declares these woes to the scribes and Pharisees. He's saying, listen, the scribes and Pharisees, those are the thought leaders of the day. They were the ones who had power and influence over the life of the Jewish people. And he was, he was not only warning them because they were leading incorrectly, but he warned the people and said, be careful what voice you're listening to. Be aware of what influence you have. And so he warned against false kingdoms. He called out the teaching of the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees. Um, we also see Jesus dealing with people who are just wrapped up in their own world. Check out Matthew 19, where he encounters the rich young ruler. This guy who, uh, from outward appearance, has his life all put together. It's orderly. He's a good guy. Um, he's He's wealthy. And yet Jesus puts his finger on the real issue. This guy is more committed to his own wealth and well-being than he is to really following Jesus as king. And so Jesus would issue warnings throughout the gospel of Matthew to give us um, clarity on how to be aware of false kingdoms that distract us from the truth. 
And so over and over again, we see this. In fact, friends, one of the biggest warnings is in Matthew 13 that we were already talking about. In the parable of the sower, he helps us all to see ways that we can very easily miss his kingdom and get lost in the kingdoms of this world. Being too busy, being focused on other things, struggles along the way, ripping us off. He warns us against those. Friends, here's here's what I want to encourage you to do. You know, one of the things we saw a lot in the Old Testament was the idea of idols and false gods. Well, as we're moving through the life of Jesus together now, pay attention to his warnings about false kingdoms or broken ways of thinking and living. Those are our modern day idols. Broken ways of thinking, broken ways of living, where we establish our own kingdom or we are easily influenced and swayed by the kingdoms of others. People who are offering a way of looking at life, a way of living in this world, a way of coping with the problems that we face and and they're false gospels. And so pay attention. And so I would encourage you friends, as we hear the announcement of Jesus as King, as we pursue how to live in his kingdom, Let's also ask Jesus to reveal to us personally, what are ways I have been following false kingdoms? What are broken ways of living that I've adopted? Friends, we are susceptible to this. The voices in our life, they are loud. And there's been a lot of mingling in the church, whether it's with um, other political ideas. I was kind of talking about that at the top of the, the message a little bit. But even beyond that, friends, in a lot of ways, the Christian church has begun mingling ideas with other religions, false religions. And there's these things that creep into us, even just through our entertainment industry, where where we let what we read, what we watch, what we consume have have this sort of permeating effect in our hearts. And so I want to highlight a point of application this morning before we close. All right. Matthew chapter 13, verse 33. Jesus told a one verse parable. He had several of those. But in this one verse, there's a powerful point to be made. So in Matthew 13, 33, Jesus says this. It says, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. That was it. That was the whole parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, this little additional thing that you add into a mixture of flour. And so it's like this woman's baking and she adds this little bit of leaven into this flour. But over time, that leaven works through the whole batch and it permeates the whole thing. It changes its structure. It changes what it what it's like, what it looks like, what it tastes like. It, t- it changes its very structure and it works through the whole batch and he said god's kingdom is like that now this is about the only instance where leaven seems to be used in a good sense throughout the gospels and then paul picks up on this a little bit in a couple of his letters to the corinthians and the galatians leaven is used as a warning it kind of harkens back to that warning about false kingdoms 
And leaven is used as a picture of letting what the Pharisees would teach get in and influence us. Um, Mark even talks about how um, they need to be careful of the leaven of Herod. So without a political leader of that day. And then Luke and Paul talk about some other things to be aware of, that the leaven of hypocrisy can creep in, where I just have an external religion, not a real genuine faith in my heart. Paul warns about compromise. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Compromise, the leaven of compromise, where we begin to okay behaviors that are broken and wrong within the church. Or he equally warns against, in Galatians chapter 5, legalism, where there's this just sort of external faith that is more about following rules, doing the right thing, and then I'll be okay, and then heaping these heavy burdens on people. But Jesus, in Matthew 13, 33, uses leaven in the good sense. He says, my kingdom is like leaven. And if you'll take bits of my kingdom, tastes of my kingdom, and you mix them into your life, watch how they will permeate and take over. And so friends, I want to end like this right here. I want to, I want to call you to consider your life. Is your life being permeated by the reality of Jesus and his kingdom? Is that what permeates your life? Is the thing that you're absorbing that's coming into you and is, its influence is kind of spreading in your life, is it the kingdom of Jesus? Are you taking in his life? Are you taking in his words? When you think about how you view a certain um, issue in our country, when you think about how you're going to handle a certain financial decision in your life, or maybe there's something challenging going on with one of your kids and you're not sure how to walk that out. Is the thing that permeates your life, permeates your mind, is it the word of God? Is it what Jesus has to say about our life here on earth? Or is it outside external influences? Friends, leaven is being added to our life all the time. The question is, what is permeating our heart? What am I taking in? Am I distracting myself with entertainment? Am I taking on um, cultural ideologies, political ideologies? Are there influencers that are speaking into my life that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God? Is that what's permeating my heart? Or is my life being saturated in the life of Jesus? Is he my king? Am I saying yes to his kingdom? Are his words coming alive in my life? Friends, that's my prayer for you and I, that our lives would be marked by the life of Jesus, that he would truly be our king, that we would seek him and that we would let his word permeate and penetrate our lives, that we might be changed forever by it. I'm gonna close in prayer. And friends, I wanna encourage you this week even, so we begin to move into the gospel of Mark. Ask Jesus to reveal himself to you. Ask him to help you see not only what his kingdom is like, but how you can participate in it. How you can be in his kingdom and his kingdom can get into you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the risen king. 
We thank you that in a world of trouble and strife and turmoil, Jesus, that you offer to us the reality of your good and abundant life. God, that your life can change our lives forever. God, that you can give us peace and anxiety. You can give us joy in the midst of sorrow. Jesus, you can show us how to put one foot in front of the other as we persevere even in hard times. Lord, I pray that we would, we would be people who grab a hold of your teaching and your way of life. God, that we would choose to be a disciple, an apprentice of you. God, that we would seek you, that we would let your word be leaven in our lives, that it would permeate our lives. And God, where we're confused, where we don't understand, Lord, may we lean in and seek you, that you may show us truth and life. God, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for the hope of your kingdom. It is the hope of the world. God, may we take it in as our own. And then may we be people who carry around your kingdom in our hearts and offer it to a world in need. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, friends. I love you, and we'll see you soon.